Howdy, pilgrims! Welcome back to Venture Pill for our ninetieth dose. Woo! Excited, that excited to have y'all with us. That's insane. <laughs> excited to have y'all with us, indeed. First up on this week's dose, you'll hear about Pickle, a peer-to-peer fashion rental marketplace that lets users earn passive income on their closets, a la Airbnb, and their eight million dollars seed round, co-led by Craft Ventures and First Mark Capital. Then you'll hear about Reality Defender, hot off a $15 million Series A led by DCVC, and how they're using AI to fight AI during an accelerating rise in deep fakes on the internet. Wow. And lastly, we close out this week's dose with a breakdown on Saronic, an Austin-based defense startup that's building autonomous ships. The startup just closed on a $55 million Series A, led by Caffeinated Capital and joined by a slew of notable VCs. Excited to set sail on this week's dose. We've got a luscious lineup of startups mm. this week, so let's get right into it. What do you say, partner? Sounds good, partner. You see here, kid? You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump. This is VenturePill, your weekly dose of startups and venture capital. We break down recent startups in the news and interview founders and investors to help you stay informed in the evolving world of venture. All right, leading things off this week, we have Pickle, a peer-to-peer fashion rental marketplace that just secured an $8 million seed round co-led by Craft Ventures and First Mark Capital with participation from Burst Capital. Pickle is essentially like Airbnb for your closet. I think that's the easiest framework to put it into. It allows users to earn passive income based on their clothes. Pretty cool. Now, this company was founded only in 2021, and the original concept was actually completely different. It was to serve as a social polling platform that allowed people to make better purchase decisions. Mm-hmm. However, what the team discovered was that users were often recommending the purchase of items they already owned, which triggered this light bulb moment, as we've heard from many different uh, founders we've interviewed, that, that light bulb moment, something clicked for the founders where they decided to pivot the service entirely into a platform that lets people rent items that they already own. And while reading into Pickle, they definitely made several mentions to the fact that they are totally letting the user base kind of determine the flow of how the startup went. Mm-hmm. Now they've got a model that seems to work in terms of making money and you know gaining traction. But it's interesting and also something we've heard other founders mention, which like is... Like Jan Ryan said, like, exactly. listen to your customer and that's, I mean, that's got to be your guiding North Star. Exactly. That is textbook startup. And so that 2022 pivot to rentals likens the service more to a rental outfit platform like Rent the Runway, which some of our listeners may be familiar with. However, the difference here is that there's no subscription requirement with Pickle. And so getting into the specifics here, Pickle's sweet spot is below luxury fashion, as most items have an average retail price of around $400, which Sam and I both thought was <laughs> full-blown luxury. to me. <laughs> full-blown luxury, 1,300 thread count Egyptian cotton. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting price because it is just high enough to make people hesitate about making the purchase, specifically if it's for a one-time wear like a wedding or a big party. Mm-hmm. But it's also expensive enough to the point that users know that they're gaining access to actual quality luxury items, right? You're not cheaping out. 
And so rental prices are around 10 to 20% of the retail value on the platform, which makes users way more inclined to rent designer clothing for that one-time wear. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. They found that little pocket of opportunity, mm -hmm. a little bit of arbitrage, maybe. I don't know if that's the <laughs> technical definition. You get, get what it, I'm though. saying, right? I get it. It's like, <laughs> that sweet spot, as you described it, is pretty cool. Um, and they certainly tie this all into social media, uh, which makes a lot of sense, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of the items on Pickle are ones that became popular due to trends on social media and sold out online. Uh, clothing rental allows users another option to find these coveted items. There are a lot of different use cases, like you mentioned, weddings come to mind, this one. So their ties to social media also give a, them a way to collaborate with online creators who have large collections, perhaps through sponsorship deals mm -hmm. and also large followings. Right. A great way to hack into growth uh, through through influencers, which we've also covered quite a bit. Fanfix oh, yeah. comes to mind for sure. Um, so they work with creators on a non-paid basis to help them optimize their pickle closet, gain a following on the platform, and in addition to more traditional user acquisition strategies like paid paid influencer marketing. Right. And users can also subscribe to closets to follow their favorite renters and discover new items. So again, kind of like influencer fashion, follow people whose fashion sense you may like. Down the line, Pickle plans to implement AI to help people get matched with the items that they love. I imagine based off mm -hmm. preferences and data, right? Uh, but the company isn't quite leveraging that technology as of yet. That might be a couple more fundraises down the line. Mm -hmm. And now to get into how the platform actually works. So to use Pickle's service, owners upload a photo and a description of their item, set the price and availability, and then choose their preferred shipping method. On the flip side, as a renter, you can submit an offer up to 90 days in advance, all the way to same-day rentals. Mm. So those who procrastinate on that outfit for the big wedding, yeah. uh, this one might be for you. And you can also specify how long you want to rent the item. So two days, a week, a month, a lot of flexibility within the model. Yeah. And in the future, Pickle wants to make it possible for users to rent high quality but underutilized goods in their homes outside of apparel. So think about things like cameras, suitcases, sports equipment, kitchen gadgets. Yeah, Mom, I know what we're using the air fryer for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I could become a full-time kitchen gadget renter. I think so. They, they mentioned Mental. that a lot of people have made this a side hustle of sorts, bringing in anywhere from four figures, five figures, six, fi six figures, I guess, if wow. you've got a lot of items. Yeah. It is certainly side hustle friendly. Yeah. Actually, just reminds me, I think when I did my 30-day uh, April 2022 Twitter challenge where I posted a new startup idea forget? for 30 days straight, I think one of my ideas is very similar to that. Not for clothes, but for, for gadgets like this, I think think about like a VR headset. Somebody just wants to try it out. Right. Like, um, so yeah, you're welcome, Pickle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, now for some stats a little bit more on their market and who they're targeting. Um, so because of its home base, Pickle is most popular in New York, followed by other large markets in the big cities like LA, Chicago, Miami. Mm -hmm. um, it spans thousands of renters, where last-minute rentals, as you mentioned, that's actually the biggest component of their business, about 65 to 70%, uh, which is crazy. A lot of procrastinators yeah. out there. I get it, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. I, make, I mean, not really that surprised. And the service attracts... Not surprisingly as well, a younger audience, 22 to 35-year-old user base, including Fashion Institute of Technology students, micro-influencers, and other in others interested in a more sustainable way to access fashion items. I think that's one component that ties in you know, pretty well as well. We haven't really 
uh, honed in on is the sustainability element as well. It's true. And yeah, I think, you know, this another key benefit of this platform is a lot of people will buy things, whether it's a very nice dress or suit or a kitchen gadget. And it's like you, you find yourself not using it so much, but it's obviously too nice, too expensive to just throw away. You're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. So this kind of allows a whole new avenue of still retaining ownership, but you're kind of making money back on it. I mean, I, I'm with you. I think every everything I own, I'd like to rent in some yeah. capacity. If I'm not using it, why not? It's kind of just taking up dead space in the closet or the kitchen cabinet anyway. It's cool to see some innovation in fashion where recent innovation has been really harmful for the environment. Yeah, fast like fashion. Fast fashion, right? Mm -hmm. Think about those companies that have really, I mean, I guess kudos to them for taking advantage. They've found a really good way to to make money, but yeah. is that is that good for our planet? Is that sustainable? No, and I think this is fighting back using yes. innovation in, in a good way, which is awesome. <laughs> Agreed. And now just to wrap up with some traction, currently there are more than 2,000 unique brands and designers on the platform with over 50,000 items available for rent. Oh. Pretty, pretty big market there. Additionally, the service has achieved 55% month-over-month revenue growth and a 90% customer retention rate after 12 months of joining. Both of those statistics really jump off the page, I'd say. Definitely, and that's, I mean, you saw Craft Ventures on the cap table here. Yep. That's exactly what they're looking you know, for. Yep. So you know that there's some good <laughs> metrics from David Sachs. 100%. And lastly, with this influx of capital, the startup is actually exploring opening its first retail space in New York City and also plans to double down on the other U.S. markets where they've been gaining traction, like L.A., Miami, some of those cities we mentioned at the top. Retail is an interesting concept to just kind of have like maybe sort of similar to like an Amazon hub, like just like a physical space where they can allow people to take advantage of it. I, I wonder how that how that actually will end up working. Yeah, maybe just like select almost warehouse type locations where a mm -hmm. lot of people store their clothes like a closet and people, I don't know, it almost sounds like a goodwill type of thing, but mm -hmm. it's like luxury items that you're renting. It'll be interesting to see. Goodwill for luxury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our second company of this week's dose is called Reality Defender, and they just announced a $15 million Series A led by DCVC. And no, they're not back in black ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> the round also <laughs> included participation from Comcast, Parameter Ventures, as well as Nat Friedman's AI grant. Um, a little background here. Deepfake-driven disinformation is exploding. AI-powered fraud techniques have never been more accessible. As attacks continue to rise, Reality Defender is the first line of defense for enterprises, platforms, and governments against the most sophisticated cybercrimes. Right, and it's worth noting that Reality Defender isn't the only company tackling this problem. So according to one of their competitors called Deep Media, there have been three times as many video deepfakes this year and eight times as many audio than in the same period last year. And that being said, there are no signs of that slowing down. And, you know, I, Sam and I definitely see these on social media, and it, it is a concern, right? Like, mm -hmm. name, image, and likeness is essentially trademark. Imagine people start taking our voice and picture and audio, start, you know, misusing it. That's, that's a serious concern. Yeah. And on top of that, we've at length covered the rise of AI over the last couple of years at this point. Yeah, we can say years, years. not even months. Uh, which has been nothing short of amazing to see, right? All these innovative companies, incredible use cases. But like everything in life, it's not without its downfalls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the rise of like really low cost and free generative AI tools, especially within the last six months, mm -hmm. 
Sure, people have been able to do some cool stuff, like make some funny content. Something right. that comes to mind for me is uh, my roommate Max showed me this like twenty four seven ongoing AI debate between <laughs> Biden and Trump. Yeah, it's pretty funny. They're saying they're just spewing random stuff, and people are commenting. It, it, it's funny. It's been going on for like three weeks straight. Um, of course, you get your funny things like that, cool, cool use cases as you mentioned, but clearly. There's also the downside. It presents massive risks for governments and other large organizations, not to mention individuals like ourselves. Misinformation, disinformation may be one of the most dangerous phenomena developing in our world today. It's Mm -hmm. pretty scary. And not to dive too deep into, you know, current events or politics, but we're seeing this phenomenon take shape uh, with conflicts going on in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas as well as with Russia and Ukraine, Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of misinformation out there. It's scary. It's scary that these platforms can just accentuate um, news stories, people posting whatever they want to. Of course, there's freedom of speech in a place like the United States, but that comes with consequences, and it can really start to accelerate in a a bad way. Totally. It's pretty scary. And, of course, the MO with the Internet for as long as I can remember has been, you know, don't, don't believe everything you see, but you also can't really blame people. If you see a very hyper-realistic video of mm-hmm. somebody saying or doing something like you're not, you know, what else are you going to do? You're going to at least think there's some truth in it. You're not going to check their MLA cited sources. Like <laughs> yeah. these aren't like, yeah, it's not like you're, re- you're reading something and you see a quick video, yeah. like you, you might take it with a grain of salt, but ultimately if it comes from a friend, that's a trusted source and that can be a really yeah. bad spiral. So Totally. It's like it can really spread like wildfire. Yeah. And so all that to say, evidently there's a clear opportunity here, but how does Reality Defender set itself apart from some of the competition we've mentioned? Well, they claim to have trained and continue to leverage a multitude of models which differentiates their proprietary approach from their competitors. We also wanted to make sure to note, according to the article that we'll link in our show notes, these types of detection softwares and algorithms are not without bias, and this is something that Reality Defender says that they will continue to refine and monitor closely and try to work to eliminate. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can ever have something perfect in AI without bias, and that's that's a broader concern with with AI, but I think especially with this is important when when we're filtering out and with the level of accuracy they claim to have mm-hmm. as a differentiator as well with with those algorithms and the the approach they're taking, um, it's accuracy that goes hand in hand with you know as an unbiased um, algorithm as possible. Uh, I don't think you can get perfect, but right. it's good that Agreed. they are, they're at least acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. And so, what kind of traction does Reality Defender have so far? Um, they actually have several government customers across the world, so legit there alongside some high-profile corporations and organizations uh, as well. And with this funding, they're going to use it to double their team of 23 that they have today and continue to expand their offering as well beyond just the video and audio deepfake use cases we've mentioned. Um, they teased a little bit about some text uh, things like gen- uh, figuring out what is AI-generated text Right. Uh, there's a slew of other opportunities and use cases that a technology with accurate detection can can really take advantage of and capitalize on. Yeah. No, it's what's really interesting to me is that three, four, five years ago, a startup like this, you know, if someone pitched this to you, you'd be like, you're what? You're yeah. crazy. Like, what? what is this actually addressing? Here we are, you know, towards the back half of 2023 and a company like this is raising 15 million dollars for a very real use case. And I kind of see it 
like I hinted at earlier as an extension of like trademark law, you know, mm -hmm. so much is tied into a brand and their image and their reputation and being able with all of these AI tools that are so easy and powerful, being able to totally misconstrue those brands and images, names, likenesses, all those types of words <laughs> um, yeah. is, is very dangerous. And I think will continue to be something that companies crack down on and governments and institutions. Absolutely. I mean, I do not, <laughs> I do not envy the, the lawyers, lawmakers, legislators, all the people that are having to deal with this rise. Yeah. Like me neither. We thank them. Like we need better regulation. Like it is probably a nightmare. It's not getting easier. It's companies like these companies like this one that are hopefully making the future a little bit brighter. So mm -hmm. that's, that's always good to see. Well said. Good, good positive spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And to close out this week's dose, our third company, we have Seronic, which is an Austin-based defense startup that's building autonomous ships and just raised a $55 million Series A led by Caffeinated Capital with participation from 8VC, Andreessen Horowitz, Lightspeed Venture Partners, Steve Cohen from the Metz's Point72 Ventures, and more. Really a who's who on the yeah. cap table there. And so the company was launched by Dino Mavrukas, a former Navy SEAL, with the goal of building autonomous surface ships for the Navy and other U.S.-aligned defense customers. Yeah, incredible idea there and a legit cap table. Yeah, One of the that's most conviction. That, that we've seen. Yeah, and so this company is currently prototyping two ships. They have the six-foot Spyglass and the 13-foot Cutlass each outfitted with remotely updatable software capable of carrying diverse payloads even in communication dead zones. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you when you first mentioned this company, I was thinking like giant ships, but I guess you got to start with something smaller maybe for, I can't even like, I mean, we're not we're not well versed yeah, in what what sort of use cases the military will have for a small ship like this, but yeah. something a little bit smaller, more discreet, I'm sure, for different types of missions. And I think the ability to work in a dead zone is obviously is a key benefit mm -hmm. here because you know, if shit hits the fan, heaven forbid, and you you know don't have service or you're in the middle of the ocean or something, you're pretty much just a sitting duck in the middle of the ocean if you can't communicate and move the ship. So mm -hmm. the technology goes a little over our head, but it's clearly very important. Yeah, and I mean, it's evident that the Navy was very impressed by these prototypes. Mavrukas claims that Saronic already has two R&D agreements with them. So the Navy's interested already. That's a, that's a great sign. Yeah, great signal there indeed. And we want to take a step back here, just highlight a rising trend within venture capital at large, which is that historically speaking, defense tech hasn't really drawn much interest from venture capital. But all of that started to change last year as U.S.-based defense tech startups raised a total of $2.1 billion across 53 total deals. The momentum isn't slowing down at all this year, as in the past few months, or as it, the past few months have seen several startups continue to land huge fundraises, and we're going to cover just a couple here, starting with Helsing, which is a defense AI startup backed by Spotify founder Daniel Ek, which broke a record for European AI startups with its $223 million Series B. Wow. That's big. Yeah. Um, another one was Castilian, which aims to mass-produce defense hardware, starting with hypersonics. 
they had a $14.2 million seed round. You don't see too many seed rounds mm-hmm. with that large of a raise. And then we also saw defense startup Mock Industries land a $79 million round at a $335 million valuation. Right. And this is in the midst of a venture capital environment where every other type of startup, maybe besides AI, are struggling to raise. And here's three companies that, you know, three of many companies that have raised pretty significant rounds in the past few months. Yeah, I mean, it probably goes hand in hand. And we were touching a bit on geopolitical events going on. Mm -hmm. Wars, uh, I mean, wars are constant. We know that. But it seems to be a little bit more on the rise. And it is scary. But I think, you know, it's not it's not a coincidence that we're seeing more investment. Certainly not. Um, And I mean, it's important. I mean, people have different opinions on, on investing in military, like how much a government should invest in that, um, maybe how much the private sector should be involved. But I think it's helped the U.S. stay out ahead. When we think about what China's doing, other countries, uh, it's important that we stay out on, on the front of innovation and venture capital, I think we're proud to say is, is helping us stay ahead of, of other, other countries out there. I agree. And I think it's just cool to have some insight into what our government may be spending money on in terms of the military. Like this is as public facing it comes with the Navy and what they're investing in, at least in my eyes and what Mm -hmm. I read. And it's pretty cool that, you know, a a founder, I mean, he is a Navy SEAL, so he probably knows a lot more than most. But a founder can create this technology and the Army or the Navy is receptive to actually getting into R&D deals and seeing how far they can take it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's sure, there's probably a lot of innovation going on behind the scenes, definitely within the Department of Defense that we don't that we don't know about. We probably won't ever know. Exactly. Uh, but you're right; it is pretty cool that we can see this and that they do partner and they value the partnerships with private um, innovators. Yeah. Um, we got we got a little peek behind the curtain. Yeah. And one final note here that we wanted to mention: uh, it's actually a quote from the CEO Mavrukas. Saronic is unlike any other company in the maritime autonomy area. Our competitors, which we mentioned earlier, are boat builders trying to be tech companies. Alternatively, Saronic is a technology company delivering capabilities through autonomous boats. So really positioning themselves as a tech company more so than a boat company. An interesting and I think good position to place themselves in. Yeah, I would say it's sort of like Tesla and and even also Apple, maybe getting into a car like a, a technology first approach with with the which is totally different mindset um, coming in to compete with other companies that may be a little bit more archaic and the way they think about things. And um, that that fresh perspective can sometimes really be a big, big differentiator. So really cool with the, with the military background, the technology team there. Um, I want to see one of these things in action. I want to see, like, what are they carrying? Like, oh, man, that's so cool. Yeah. No, I I agree with you there. Uh, Maybe we can get CEO Dino Mavrukas on the show. He sounds like a baller just based off a deep Mm -hmm. dive into his company here. But uh, for now, that just about does it for this week's Dose number 90, which Mm -hmm. is crazy to say. But a pleasure, as always, partner. And thank you to all of our listeners out there that have been along for the ride. Keep following and engaging with us on social media. Show us to your friends. Spread the good word. We appreciate all of it. Yes, sir. Thank you, Pilgrims. Uh, Stick with us throughout these 90s. 
and uh, we got something big coming for 100. We don't know what it is yet, but <laughs> it's going to be big. Be huge. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. See you next time. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibe's a little low-key, okie-dokie. That's alright, but wait, I don't know how to do things The views, statements, and opinions expressed herein by the hosts and their guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast should not be construed as reflecting the views or implied endorsement of Independent Brokerage Solutions, LLC, or any of its officers, employees, or agents. The statements made herein should not be considered an investment opinion, advice, or recommendation regarding securities of any company. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes and is not to be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a security.